Coaches, are you looking for a way to level up and win more? Then you should check out GMS Plus, your on-demand source for the best, most proven volleyball courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. You can learn from the game's greats, such as John Spraw, Mike Wall, Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, and Courtney Thompson. Whether you're trying to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will get you there. You can get 20% off an annual subscription by going to goldmedalsquare.com CYBO and entering the coupon code CYBO. That's goldmiddlesquare.com slash CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. We're excited to welcome to the show the head baseball coach at Kansas University, Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, thanks for joining us. Fellas, thanks for having me. We're uh, excited to learn from you and excited for you. I know it's not that new, but you were hired at Kansas in June and, and fired up for you. So I guess you're over six months in, over halfway in. What have been some of the big takeaways so far uh, through this journey? It's been a, yeah, it's been a crazy uh crazy run since June and and we got the job June 15th and feel like you're recruiting later that day you know it's right in the middle of a recruiting season mm-hmm. and uh, so got my staff on board and just full sprint through the summer and then you know in August my family got moved here and so it's kind of the the sprint of your work life but then also the sprint of of like real life of getting kids in schools and uh, finding a house. And so really, you know, just coming off of, of winter break here, feeling like he can come up for air, mm-hmm. had some time to reflect on just how many, I think my biggest takeaway guys is just how awesome the people here have been, the support for our student athletes. I've been some great places. Uh, and this place is, is very elite in terms of the resources for student athletes and, just the consistency of how awesome the administration's been. Um, and then, you know, the big takeaway of, I knew it was going to be hard, but when you're going through it, you're like, you want it to be, you want it to be a lot easier than it is. You know, you don't, you don't necessarily, I knew the fall was going to be hard, but then you're going through it and you're like, man, this is hard. And you're like, well, yeah, I, I knew, I knew this. I knew this. So kind of the reminders, but overall it's been absolutely fantastic. I've uh, loved every second of it, wake up every day, ready to roll. And it's been a great six months. That's awesome. I, I know you were the associate head coach, assistant coach at Dallas Baptist, right? It was for a yes. long time. Yeah. So what, and, you know, it's different being, being the head and, and obviously in the university, but what, what's hard? Like, what would you say are some of the things that have been hard specifically? Well, I, th- I think the, you know, you want to take care. I think we all get into coaching at some level uh, because of, of players, you know, or I should, I should say we get into coaching for all different types of reasons. And then once we're in, we realize how important the players are. <laughs> and so I think the players that are going through a transition, the guys that were in the program and were turning and chose to come back, I think making sure that they had a great experience and felt, um, a part of the fold immediately. Because I think there's a there's a little bit of the the guys that we recruited in the summer 
inherently probably felt a little bit a part of the fold because we recruited them. And then there's that question mark of the returners of like, okay, what's this new guy going to be like? And what's his staff and how are they going to do this? And then we had tough decisions to make too, because the roster needed some help. And, and I wanted to be really fair and really clear and really um, cognizant of their experience because they didn't, they didn't choose me, you know, they weren't, they weren't on the hiring committee and uh, they came here to play for a different coach and, and then got, got, you know, a new coach. So I think being cognizant of that experience for them. And then also knowing that I'm replacing a coach who had been here 20 years and is a great man and honoring everything that he had done. And at the same time, I'm very, very different than coach price. So just because I'm different, doesn't mean it's, doesn't mean it's better. And just because he's different, doesn't mean it's worse. So trying to, I, I, you know, it drives me nuts when the coaching change and it's like, Oh, we had to change everything. Everything was terrible. It's like, well, that's not, that's not the case. There were a lot of awesome things in place. Hmm. So for me, it was, how do we change things and do it in a way that honors everything that coach price did. Um, but also change things to fit where we need to go. Cause it's, we do need to go in a different direction. So, yeah, I think just, and then you, you forget when you, when you start over that there's no history of, of this is how we do things, you know, which is a dangerous term. I don't think we ever want to get caught in this is how we, how we've always done things around here, but there are elements like John inside of your program, a senior can tell a freshman like, Hey, let's go this direction instead of that direction. Like we had none of that. And you forget how much of that is actually how a team functions. Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense to be considering that and understanding that that's what your players are going through. It takes a lot of uh, perspective from you to, to think about that. So what it sounds like is one of the big challenges is communication, which is uh, the topic we wanted to get into and, and communicating through you know, all this transition and, and getting on the same page with players. And, and that was something, you know, talking with Travis, Travis Wyckoff, the, the great Travis Wyckoff, who, who helped connect us. He described you as an elite communicator. And I guess I was curious, has that always been a strength of yours? Is that, that something you've had to work at? I don't, yeah, I appreciate Travis saying that. Uh, I, I think, I don't know that I'm elite at it. I, I've just never had the fear of it. Like I, I, no, they say public speaking is, you know, one of the great fears in life. Fortunately, I that I haven't had that one. Um, so I don't I think that half the battle for me is that I I just don't fear it. And I I am probably naturally inclined that way a little bit. I had a uh my dad passed away a couple of years ago, but was a awesome communicator. Uh it was valued in my family growing up. We didn't have a whole lot of moments of silence. Um it was okay to talk about uh, tough things. Like it just, I grew up in a house where you could talk about tough things. So yeah, I think I I have to, I've had to work on it over the years. And as a, as a head coach, I certainly do more of it now than I ever have, but yeah, I think some of it has come naturally, but I think a big chunk of it is uh, I've just never had a a fear of jumping up and, and and speaking in front of people, which has been a real blessing in this profession. And then in, in baseball, you have so many players on the roster. Uh, what do you do to reach out to them, I guess, at a more personal level? And how do you communicate, I guess, to one-on-one? Yeah. We had an interesting 
moment this fall, kind of one of those crisis moments of like, all right, this is a, we're at the crossroads here. We're going to have some conflict. And it was a perfect moment because my two of my three boys were uh, running around behind us on the field. And, you know, tell my boys all the time, like, Hey, when we're meeting, let's not, not be distracting to the team. Why you know, turn around? They're wrestling like a hundred yards. It's super distracting, but side note. Anyway, I pointed back to them and I said, Hey guys, let me get through this. Let me get through this statement without just promise. You won't judge me until I get done with this statement. And I said, I do not care what those two think of me but I really care. I don't care if they like me. I don't care if, if they think I'm the coolest dad of all time, but I really, really care that they know that I'm honest. And I told them it's the same exact thing with you guys. I, I, I'm 45. You guys are in your early twenties. <laughs> I, I hope to be, you know, I'm definitely old enough to be your dads. Um, I hope to be a part of your life. I hope to get Christmas cards and wedding invites and all that stuff. But ultimately I would, if I had to choose, you guys think I'm the coolest dude in the world or I'm trustworthy and honest, I, I would pick trustworthy and honest all day. So I kind of start from that um, viewpoint with all the players, Billy, and just tell them, Hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I, for better or worse. Uh, and, and I've had to work on my bedside manner for sure. Uh, Cause they're, I think early in my career, I was, you know, way too much truth, but I think, uh, or I shouldn't say way too much truth, w way too much, just directness, not enough connection, not enough, um, building of the relation relationship. And now I think with 35 guys, I really try to make it a point to have, I've got a ton of little micro meetings. Hey, everyone stop by tomorrow morning, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, two minutes, max three minutes where I just touch base with them and constantly try to tell them, um, you're doing great. This is where you're at. Or, Hey man, we're having the same conversation over and over again. Uh, you've missed two, like I, I got to have one today. I got a guy that's, you know, he's been late to tutoring three times in the last six days. Like, well, that's a, that's a massive problem. So, um, you know, that'll be a five minute meeting. So I just try to, I try to meet quick often. And then I try to talk to the team every day in, in, in some form of, you know, not at length, but like all together and just remind them of the, of the real basics of the program. Hey, we are going to do this together. And I am here for you. My staff is here for you. You don't play for us. We're here to, to coach you. Uh, this isn't our program. This is all of our program. So I think I try to hit it on the macro level. And then I try to and then honestly, I don't, I get kind of bored sitting in the batting cage with someone for three hours. So during practice, I wander and I try to pluck guys off um, during batting practice in the outfield. I try to hit all the outfielders. Uh, I work with the infielders, so I'm with them a ton. I try to watch every bullpen so that the pitchers see me watch them throw every pitch. So I just try to be intentional about being in their space. Are you, are you consistent with that honesty or do you find you have to adapt it based on different players, personalities, uh, which, which way do you go with that? That's a really good thought, John. Uh, I, yeah, I think I probably deliver it differently based off of, you know, a guy that comes in bowed up looking for a fist fight, you know, mm, yeah. versus the guy that's, 
you know, I, in the, in the interview process here, um, I had someone ask me my greatest strength as a coach. And I said, I, I, I make the people around me confident. Like mm -hmm. I truly believe that if a player spends time around me, he will be more confident in a real way. And so uh, I try in these meetings, most of them, even if I'm blistering a guy, I'm still trying to build their confidence of, mm -hmm. of calling them to a higher level of, Hey man, you have, you have to do this. Not because, not because I'm your coach, but because you've been given this gift. And if you melt this thing away, you're going to be 45 someday. And you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to be so mad at yourself for not working the way you should have. So I, but there are other guys that come in and the tails tucked and they're whooped that it's a very gentle conversation. And, um, you know, there's a, a more, yeah, the more or more gentle, but I think the truth is the truth is the truth. So I, I think I deliver it in all, in all scenarios. It's just try to meet the player where they're at. And what if it's something, I don't know, a bigger, um, you know, so I don't know, these like really difficult conversations. I could see like the tutoring one. That's maybe a, you know, I could see handling that in a couple minutes, but you know, we're talking like you're going to lose your starting role or, you know, maybe some of these like harder conversations to have, are you still able to do that in that small period of time? And no, those are, those are longer. Okay. Those are longer. And, and I always have my, I 90% of the time I have uh, one of, one of my assistants with me hmm. and they're really good. They are, they're awesome. And we balance each other really well, but I've just found if you have more, more of the micro meetings, there's mm. not necessarily a need for the long ones. And then the time that we, like we had guys, I make, you know, baseball, you know, I don't know in volleyball how this works, but like when the guys walk up to bat, they've got their walk-up song or whatever. Mm. And I swear it's the most important thing in their world. Like it, it, I mean, it's, it's embarrassing how much time these guys put into the song. And so I make them come and read the song. Like they have to read the lyrics to the song. Cause I'm like, no, we're not going to have inappropriate. Like you're not, my kids are going to ask Alexa to play every one of these songs. <laughs> you got to read it in front of me. And uh, the cool part about doing that is we had multiple guys that ended up sitting in the office for 15, 20 minutes talking about, you know, we, we, we gave them the thumbs up on their song at, you know, whatever, 30 seconds, like, man, this is awesome. And then, and then 20 minutes of, of conversation on other stuff. So we've got, yeah, we, they, they span, they span from 30 seconds to an hour, but I just try to do them more often than not. Yeah. I like that idea how it's not, you know, every four months we have this serious long talk, but it's consistent where they're, you know, they're not being caught by surprise. I'm yeah. curious, as you mentioned that, what's, what's your walk-up song? That's fine. We didn't have them. I wasn't a good enough player to have one. So if if you had uh, one now, what would you choose? Oh man, see, I'd have to. I'd have to. I'd probably go something Guns N' Roses. I can't. I I don't think I could come up with my favorite Guns N' Roses song because I've yeah. got a ten of them. But I'd probably. I mean, I don't know. I'm not. I'd probably go Welcome to the Jungle. If I had to pick yeah. one right now, I'd classic. Yeah, yeah. Can't beat Axl Rose. No, you can't. Um. So. 
talking about these staying connected with players and it sounds like the micro meeting is a big part of it but i guess i found in my experience staying connected with starters impact players is sometimes easier you're you know spending more time around them sometimes uh so i'm curious what you've done to stay connected with role players bench players maybe people who are seen as you know less important on the field but are obviously really important to the team yeah well, I, I think I do. I think I do a good job of that. And I, I, I wanted, that's really, really important to me for a couple of reasons. Um, so I was a head coach at Des Moines Area Community College for five years, about 15 years ago from 08 to 12. And I think that's one of the most things I was most proud of in that time is that the guy who was number 35 on our roster, uh, you know, Scott Shebler played in the big leagues forever and, is still kind of banging around and, and played for us. And then, you know, got other guys that barely played, but their experience looking back 15 years later, like they had the same experience. So I was really proud of that. And uh, I think my viewpoint on that has changed a little bit in that our middle son, Max has autism and it's completely and totally changed me as a person, like hardest thing I've ever gone through. And, and also the greatest, most, awesome life-changing deal ever he's a total stud and I I see the world through a a real different lens so uh, when I look out at my team I don't really I'm not a I this is going to sound terrible and I should never admit this but I'm not like I'm not the biggest baseball fan in the world like I like I like I obviously I love baseball but I'm not like die hard like I will there's a very good chance that given the choice between watching uh, Netflix with my wife tonight or looking up the baseball swing, I will choose watching something with my wife every time. Like I'm just not diehard uh, baseball fan guy. So that being said, when I look at my team, I, I look at 35 guys that are going to be dads and, and husbands and coworkers and all those things. Uh, even if they do play in the big leagues for, for 20 years. So I really try to have a, a, a scope for to separate their performance from their experience and separate their performance from um, who they are inside the program. I, I had a really uh, eye-opening experience a couple of years ago where uh, a, a, a travel ball dad uh, was, was calling me about my son playing for their team and the assumption was that my son was one really, really good, and that two he wanted to play at a super high level, and that he wanted to play like seventy games in the summer. And I, it was a, it was a very mind melding moment because I'm like, well, my son still plays with Legos. Like he's at the time he was like nine. <laughs> um, you know, I thought, no, we don't want to play seventy travel games, but there was this assumption of like, Oh, well, he must be good. Cause you know, cause you're a division one coach. So your kid must be really good at baseball. And it's like, well, I, I don't, I don't know that those are necessarily correlating like mm-hmm. uh, in, in he's, he's turned into a great little 12 year old player and, and all that stuff. But I saw kind of into the window of the pressure that a nine-year-old could feel mm-hmm. um, a 12 year old can feel a 15 year old can feel and so I think part of my job is a week from today, these guys are going to feel massive pressure. Like we're about to open our season. 
you know, the University of Kansas won four games in the Big 12 last year. Like we're trying to do something total, you know, go from worst to first. And the guys are the ones that feel that pressure. So I try to really uh, separate that from, you know, who they are inside the program. I don't want the guy that's, I have more of a heart. And this, again, this, I shouldn't say stuff like this, but I probably have more of a heart for the guy that isn't traveling next week than I do for the guy that's starting to hit in the middle of the order. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's fair or no, that's really powerful. I mean, just cool to hear how much you care. I mean, my, like from the challenging skeptical, eye would be like, yeah, I could see you saying that like as an assistant coach for a long time, but now at Kansas with the pressure on you a couple years in, if the season yeah. doesn't go great, like how do you manage that sort of stuff? And I understand the players are feeling it, but when you start to feel those things, yeah, uh, do you feel like you'll be challenged or have you been challenged? Well, I, so far? I think it'll be, yeah, I think that'll be really hard. I think that'll be, you know, I'm, I'm blessed that Travis Wyckoff's my best friend and I talk to him like 40 times a day. So, <laughs> uh, and, and literally have him as a part of our, you know, working with our staff and, and working with me on a, you know, minute by minute basis. So I, I avoid that pitfall, but I don't know. How do you guys, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on that. You guys are, John, you're way, way down the road from me on this. What, how have you experienced that? I mean, that's kind of why I ask. I feel like I struggle with it. I feel like uh, in some ways you have to prioritize from like a skill standpoint, maybe where I put my focus, my eyes and practice to try to develop the players that will make an impact. So then I try to think kind of like stuff you said, um, how do I, when we're not at practice, when we're at weights or at a team meal, how do I make sure I'm connecting with the people who maybe I don't spend as much time with in practice? Yeah. I think it is so important. And when people feel isolated, it, it disrupts the team. And and I, I do just like you, I want to be invited to their weddings and I want to make a positive impact on their life, whether they're the best of volleyball or not. Sure. So I don't know. It's something I want to get better at. So I don't know. But what about and, you, Billy? Billy, Billy is a player. I mean, that it's been a long, long time since I felt that pressure as a player, but obviously that's something you're still feeling, still experiencing. So what are your words from the player perspective? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think uh, kind of like what you were saying about connecting with them, like being honest because you want the best out of that for them. I think no matter what role in the team, if you feel like the coach is encouraging and thinks you can get better and has like, I mean, I think it's great to connect personally and talk about movies and stuff. And that, that goes a long way to building a relationship. But if I'm in practice working hard, if they're like trying to get me better, even if it's in small samples like I know the starting guy might get more feedback but if you know I am getting some and you're you know you are seeing me play hard and you know encouraging me I think that goes a long way even if it's you know imbalanced I think I think it's huge that you know I'm on the team and you're giving me feedback or whatever the situation is trying to get me better love it thank you um but to answer your question John I just do it all equally because I you know I just you know I just have it perfectly down <laughs> Must be nice. I yeah. wish I could do that. Uh, Dan, what about talking to bigger groups? We talked about the one-on-one meetings. How do you communicate to like the whole team at once um, and stay engaged and make sure they're not, you know, just paying attention to the wall and stuff? Yeah, that's a challenge. It's a challenge. One, I try to do it as I, I, I try to not overdo it. Uh, I try to keep some spaces theirs, like I, right after a game, you know, 
the, the likelihood of us pounding the message through of, of how we're going to fix A, B, and C 10 minutes after game, probably not the best window. So I try to leave those windows to, hey, this is they need to go eat dinner. They need to go hang with their family. They need to get out of here and, and do whatever. But I do try to engage them. I, I, I think storytelling is... I mean, I love hearing, I love when someone starts telling a story, it could be the worst story of all time. And I'm locked in. Like, I want to know uh, personal experience. I want to hear about people's families. I want to uh, humor, uh, which was really hard for me this fall. Cause these guys, they did not laugh for the first month. They were so on pins and needles. And I would say something where I'm like, I know that's funny. Like I, <laughs> I know that that is actually Wyckoff was here and I said something and he lost it. I mean, he, he was behind him and he like bent over and I'm like, all right, good. I haven't, haven't completely lost touch to reality of touch, making an impact and someone's humor level. But uh, so I think humor storytelling, and then I've just found that college age guys, I think they appreciate just, just direct just hey, this is where this is where we are. This is where we're going. Here's how we're going to get there. Boom, boom, boom. And then I try to I try to highlight guys in those. Whenever I talk to the team, I will I will bring up examples of uh, of something that, that that maybe happened or something that could happen. So yesterday we had media training, and we went through the the long PowerPoint of you know all the do's and don'ts, which boils down to don't just don't do anything stupid. Like we <laughs> keep it real simple. But I, I brought up some examples of the guys like, you know, Brooksy, when you hit a home run on next weekend and you get asked about it afterwards, just say how great a job your teammates did setting up your bat. Uh, Cole, when you make a huge block late in the game on a slider to punch a guy out and we, we get the out at first base to get out of a jam um, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I try to try to call them out and try to find eyes. And if, if, if heads are down, I'm also not afraid to say, Hey guys, I'm not going to waste your time. Like eyes up here, lock in. So I just try to engage them, get them laughing, tell stories, use their names. And then I try to get them to talk. Like if there's, if it's a long one, like if we're going over big time, big time, long stuff, it's, at your table, pen and paper, you guys discuss it. And then I call on them. I, I don't do a whole lot of, does anyone have a question or does anyone have a comment? I call on them so that mm. they know, Hey, he's going to ask like our table has to be ready. Cause he's asking. Mm. Smart. And what about uh, when you're talking to the group and explaining practice activities? Um, yeah. I guess, how do you communicate that? Yeah, I have, I, that, that's one where, you know, I remember Dan Hefner at, at DBU a few years ago, who's Dan's, you, you guys need to have Heath on. He is a freak. He is an absolute freak. And he, he would say, Hey man, can you, can you communicate to the guys on this? Like they hear my voice a lot. So I try to get my assistants to do a ton of, if it's hitting specific, explanation of the rotation Tyler's going to do it if it's pitching specific Brandon's going to do it uh if there's you know something outfield related John's going to do it so I try to uh when it gets tactical I I have kind of a fascination with simplicity 
and just what's the simplest way we can run this bunt coverage. So I'm real particular about that. But when it comes to a lot of the other tactical stuff, um, I have my staff do the long talking on that because I don't I don't want my voice to become mundane in their life. I'm curious from the staff preparation, it just feels like, you know, in volleyball, I don't know, we're all on the same court kind of, there's less like specific position, especially in beach, but where you guys, I picture you kind of going off into different skill specific stuff. So how does that go in the organization side? Like you and the staff kind of making sure everything flows smoothly. And then when you come out, you can deliver a clean practice. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, really defensively defensively is where you got to be really on top of it. So if whatever the team defense of the day is kind of dictates what the individual defensive focus is going to be, which then dictates kind of what the individual drill session would be. So if we're doing, if we're doing cuts and relays, like a, you know, double the left center gap runner at first base, the ball is going to the plate. So you have to line up in a way where, the shortstop is the first guy out. The second baseman trails in. Um, the third baseman has to stay home because the guy that hit the double, if he leaves, he can just keep going to third. The pitcher has to back up between third and, and, and home and then read where the throw is going and then go. And the first baseman has to make sure the guy touches first base and he needs to trail the runner to second base to keep him close. So when, when that's the skill, when that's the overall thing that we're working on, then the infielders, when they're throwing, they throw to 90 feet or 120 feet or whatever. And then when they actually start their pull down, like their long distance throwing, we have them do that inside that drill. So like, okay, instead of just standing on the left field foul line and throwing out to center field, 200 feet, let's make your throw active at 150 feet, 175, 200 in that same motion of, um, you know, I imagine you guys do some stuff at the net where like just the person you, you're just spiking, like someone's feeding over and over repetitive spiking, whatever. I'm making that up. I imagine that's a drill. If not, I'd like to, you guys to put that drill in. I think it's <laughs> no. So I think there's that segment of long toss that day looks different than if we were doing rundowns that day, or if we were doing bunt coverages. So mm-hmm. we kind of talk about here's, here's the big picture of practice. And then what individual sections do you need to hit in, in, in the individual time? So mm-hmm. there's a ton of coordination on that. So like if it's, if catchers, um, like if we're not heavy on the field that day, then the catchers are doing a ton of receiving work and just stealing strikes. And how do we keep a ball low? How do we, how do we bring that up in a high pitch? How do we kind of bring it down? Um, so there are individual skills that don't necessarily come out into a, okay, now it's leading towards the Team D segment. But that's kind of how practice, when we meet on it, it's like, okay, we're doing pitcher fielding practice and and pickoffs. Well, we got to be smart then about when we get the infielder's arms up because they're going to literally be catching a ball and tagging. And we can't jump from that straight into long toss. Their arm won't be ready for it. So Mm. it's the same exact thing you guys do. It's just a... Sounds more complicated. (laughs) There's a lot of moving parts there. A lot no, to consider. I, well, it's it's a lot. It's 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 like anything though. If you can play catch, like if you can play catch and take care of the ball, and uh, you don't strike out, you can win. It's just when if you can win the seventeen inches of the strike zone, you can win. Like yeah. I don't know. I, what's the what's the lowest 
common denominator in volleyball unforced errors like you take those uh, yeah a lot of people talk about this serving passing battle like kind of how tough you're serving getting the other teams passing out of system and vice versa how in system yeah. you are with your passing but hitting the court's important too yeah, yeah. serve in serve in and hit in i mean there's the yeah do that you can win yeah but uh we uh yeah we could spend hours complicating it but in the end yeah serve in hit in <laughs>